Hey, this is Coach Freddie here, inspiring people to do things that inspire them, and welcome to the I Have for Evolution, where we'll be discussing the benefits of growing and using industrial hemp for people, planet, and profit. Conversations about the history, legalization, farming, harvesting, processing, building, manufacturing, investing, and how industrial hemp can benefit people's lives, heal the planet, and how it can be used to make thousands of products and boost the economy and business. So, are you ready to join the iHemp revolution? Hey, this is Coach Freddie, and I'm here with Joel Better uh, with the Vermont Hemp Company from Jericho, Vermont. And Joel and his wife uh, was gracious enough to host the Hemp Road Trip in February of this year when we were in Vermont. It was Rick Trojan and Maggie and Dea and myself, Coach Freddie. We stayed at Joel's house. We had a great conversation about hemp and what he was doing up there in uh, Vermont with the University of Vermont. And we talked about brewing hemp beer and and the small farms that's up in Vermont, uh, 5 to 20 acres, equipment co-op. So, Joel, welcome to the IHAMP Revolution. Well, thank you, Coach. It's fantastic having the opportunity to speak with you again. Greatly enjoyed working with you earlier this year. And... Uh, Certainly enjoy having you in the rotation of friends and colleagues in this up-and-coming craziness we're calling the hemp revolution. <laughs> <laughs> yes, indeed. Yes, and it was really great. I love the little town of Jericho. That was awesome. And I'm going to come up and visit you again sometime, so uh, and maybe next year. Maybe this year, Coach, when uh, you can come back with Rick, and uh, I'll, I'll be able to watch the Patriots in the Super Bowl instead of having Rick uh, wearing his Broncos jersey. Yeah, right. Pants. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Oh, great. I'm, I'm going to rub that in if it comes to pass. But yeah. So, so Coach, I really appreciate this opportunity, and I, I do have some things that I'd like to share with you. If, if this is a good opportunity, I'd like to just kind of start in with a recap. Uh, first, an intro of myself, and then a little bit of a recap on this year, and how things are looking going forward. Fantastic. Go to it, Joel. Thanks, Coach. So my name is Joel Bedard, and as Coach mentioned, I started the Vermont Hemp Company up here in northern Vermont with the idea of working with farmers uh, on farmland and with the explicit intent of researching the potential for hemp as a phytoremediation species for cleaning up point and non-point nutrient loading in agricultural lands. And as mentioned before, the Lake Champlain Basin has has some some issues that are effectively related to the sheer amount of, uh, well, dairy farming, but I don't want to point necessarily at the dairy farmers, just that there's just so much cow poop that a, uh, a freshwater lake can handle. And there are some some concerns and some problems in terms of how to either prevent this agricultural point and non-point pollution from entering the watersheds and basically how we can help the farmers do this. As you know, coach, farming's a tough life and farmers know their land and they love their land and they have no intention of causing problems or water quality issues, but they also are kind of handcuffed in terms of their own resources. Uh -huh. So the premise of my work was Let's give them a potential commodity crop that can 
basically give them more income than your standard feed corn or soybeans or, you know, whatever these guys are getting, you know, $100 an acre for if they're even breaking even. So if we can give them another commodity crop in their rotation, simultaneously cleaning their land and preventing this pollution from entering the watershed, I, I, see, I see very little loss. So that was the original premise of the Vermont Hemp Company. And we've expanded some of our research, research considerations. And, and I don't want to get too far into it because this is intellectual property, but we are working with the State Agency of Agriculture, Far, uh, Food and Markets, as well as the state's Department of Public Safety, the dispensary system, uh, the University of Vermont, and of course, our friends at the Department of Justice, the DEA. Uh-huh. So, uh-huh. so some of this research is registered with the DEA. Other aspects of it is in the process of being registered. We have approximately four to five different projects. And unlike other folks who are approaching research of industrial hemp from more of an agronomy standpoint and field trials and you know, how quickly does this cultivar grow and will this cultivar grow in our neck of the woods? We're looking at applied scientific aspects such as building pollen drift models or, uh, you know, commodity studies. The, the list could go on and on. And really some of the more creative minds in the United States are probably going to or should be looking at the many, many aspects of hemp. Uh, the Swiss Army knife capabilities of hemp. Uh-huh. So that's that's kind of where we're at right now. And this year was a little bit of a trick in that one of my primary approaches to this conversation is regulatory compliance. And as you may recall, my wife is a member of the American Bar Association and an officer of the court. And as such, I have to, you know, I've learned a risk aversion and <laughs> a, a, asymmetric uh risk factors and whatnot. And there, there are a lot of instances in this nation right now where folks are pushing the needle or going well past the point of regulatory compliance. And I, I have no problem with them doing that, but it's not something that I'm willing to enter into. Uh So earlier this year, Vermont was one of the, actually it was the first state to approach the concept of legalization via uh, legislature. That is to say, Vermont is not a referendum state, so we cannot vote on the legalization of recreational recreational cannabis. Mm-hmm. And the legislature kind of it became a heated heated discussion, and there were times in which, during the legislative hearings, dozens of uniformed police officers would be in in effectively in intimidation mode in the legislation offices. So. I, I, when, when this effort failed, I anticipated something of a blowback and I kind of pulled back some of my efforts and consolidated my efforts. So this year, this year I had approximately a dozen farmers under my permit, which does grant federal regulatory compliance. And we looked at a few different cultivars and we experimented with what some people are referring to as high CBD hemp. I'm, I'm, I'm not sold that I want to go in that direction simply because there's far more to the plant than just growing female hemp. And I'm doing air quotes, hemp plants specifically for only CBD or cannabinoid extractions. 
there's just so much more to this plant. Yeah. And and I've I've you're you're going to be the first one to hear it. So this is a little uh, I'm bucking some of the some of the common logic here. I really I don't think that I'm going to be working with any of these high CBD plants going forward. I just see it as way too finicky, way too resource intensive, and that there are other ways to be able to work with cannabinoids than dedicating X amount of land, X amount of resources, X amount of water, X amount of all of these labor intensive aspects for one specific item. Whereas if I look at some of the European models or some of the Asian models, we're talking about the ability to plant 25 to 50 pounds of seed on a single acre. Coach, that's you know approximately 30 to 35,000 seeds per pound. So we're talking magnitudes, you know, a million seeds on a single acre versus the finicky high CBD hemp of approximately 2,000 plants per acre. Yeah, I so, see. I mean, orders of magnitude greater and with open pollination and free seeding of oil or, or fiber seed, you're in a situation where you don't have to fertilize. You don't have to worry about the watering. Once they're established, they'll outcompete every weed. You don't have to tend them. Mm-hmm. And then you end up with the multiple products of seeds, of fiber, the ability to potentially extract cannabinoids. That that technology is, is not quite up to speed yet, but mm-hmm. you know, these... These are the goals that I really wanted to have. Okay. And to, to go a little bit further on that one, one of my other aspects, one of my other concerns with this nascent hemp industry in the U.S. is that I went into this from a philosophical perspective of I want to help farmers. I want to keep the farms going. I want to give the farmers a commodity approach. Farmers know how to farm. They know their land. Uh-huh. I, but they're risk averse because it's their land. So the only farmers that I've spoken to in this state, and I've spoken to many, 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 uh, and I'll be speaking in front of 1,200 organic farmers at a at a, 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 a conference in February. What we're looking at here is farmers do not want to go into a gray zone with the federal government or regulatory compliance. So with the current Section 7606 of the Farm Bill dictating the rules of research and use of hemp crops, farmers don't want to go down that road. However, if I go to them and I give them a model where it's, look, this is like corn, this is like soybeans, this is like whatever, they are far more interested in doing that than the green rush, as it were, of people who aren't really farmers and see an opportunity to make a quick buck. So, I'm I'm at a fork in the roads now, and I'm I'm going to be going with the farmers. So I do not anticipate directly cultivating any high CBD hemp next year or going forward. It's I feel that it's a a a distraction. It's potentially dangerous to the industry, as the same people that are pursuing the green rush are the ones that are willing to or seem more willing to cut corners and you know, break rules as it were. And I'm not pointing fingers. It's more a matter of, I want to stay clean. I don't want to be involved in any of this. So, you know, I'm not necessarily the most popular guy in this conversation, but I am at least providing transparency and a little bit of a reflection of why I feel this way. There is so much more to this plant than just CBD. 
and but CBD takes so much intensive labor and yeah I but I I'm I'm with you 100% on that I I'd go with the farmers myself there's so much more that they can do and and contribute to every other industry by allowing that crop to have multiple uses again right so the way to, to water it down coach I think the best way to put it would be if you can't harvest it with a combine then I don't want to grow it <laughs> There you go. Farmers do love their tractors and combines. So you were working with uh, just a dozen or so farmers this year. So next year, you plan on working with farmers in a different aspect. Exactly. I've, I've, you know, there are other individuals here who are pursuing almost explicitly the CBD conversation, whether it's a local dispensary or whether it's uh, another local startup business that has their eyes set on recreational market. Uh-huh. Uh, or the retail market, they I I have feedback that farmers simply do not want to touch them. They mm-hmm. do not want to work with this aspect of, of an agricultural crop. Whereas I'm probably sitting in front of you know fifteen to twenty thousand acres. And granted, that's a good problem to have, but it's also untenable at this point in time. I. I could probably get all the seed to be able to grow several thousand acres. I'm not too worried about allocation of, of genetics. As I mentioned, I do work with the DEA and we could go down that road. But again, the current regulations do not allow for the use of this stuff. So I'm probably going to keep things down around 50 acres in the coming year. And we'll okay. just stockpile both fiber and, and genetics and seed for ensuing years. And, and clearly, Coach, I mean, the, oh, what's the word, the, uh, the, the, the gorilla in the room or the elephant in the room? There we go. The elephant in the room. I suppose uh, it could be a gorilla. The elephant in the room is the fact that we've got a new administration coming in. And whether it is the Donald Trump administration or, you know, something happens in the in- interim and it becomes a Clinton administration, neither one of them are necessarily warm and fuzzy about pushing the needle forward on the regulatory schema for industrial hemp. Yeah. Uh, in fact, in a Trump administration, it would not surprise me to go backwards. And in a pro- theoretical Clinton administration, I would expect it to go sideways. <laughs> or, you know, most people are thinking rescheduling to Schedule 2 would be great, but the reality is Schedule 2 would probably put 95-plus percent of all cannabis businesses out of business for their inability to meet regulatory compliance. Yeah. The FDA is not as complacent as the DEA. And I know that's a kind of a hard concept to swallow because most people think the DEA is busting down your door. But the FDA are the ones that send out the cease and desist orders. They're the ones that will shut you down in a heartbeat and tie you up in court until you're bled dry. So I'm, I'm looking at the idea of how would a new pharmaceutical business start? That's how I see these things. ISO certifications, full-on compliance with every standard available, future-proofing. So that's kind of the direction I'm looking to go in. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, clearly that's a, it's easier said than done, but my team has made tremendous progress. I have a list of strategic partners that spans the globe. I have access to pretty much anything I need and I, I'm, I'm feeling confident that I'm going to be able to do what I've set out to do. And again, 
going back to one of your references, the idea of a centralized processing hub and a distributed economic model. Mm-hmm. Now, describing that distributed economic model, the converse would be what we have today, the vertical economic model, where we have a kingmaker and everyone else gets crumbs. I don't want to be a kingmaker. Right. I want everyone to get a slice of the pie. A yep. distributed economic model will make sure that the farmers are properly reimbursed and that there is no consolidation of power and resources. Yeah, and that will work. We just have to work on it, that's all. That is already in place here in the Northeast. We have we have Pete and Jerry's eggs. They have a model similar to that. It's almost a co-op or collaborative model. Uh-huh. And another one is Cabot Cheese. Uh, most people know Cabot. They don't, you know, it started in Vermont, but they're in several different states now. And all these different cheesemakers, I, I got the statistics the other day, uh, speaking with the cheese industry, just out of curiosity. And, you know, they go through around a million gallons of milk every day making cheese. That's not a small organization. Mm-hmm. Yet, when you see the Cabot label, you still think small Vermont farm. And that's, that's, that's the trick right there. Enable and empower the farmers, and they will basically do anything that needs to be done to succeed. Yeah. Yeah, I hear you. I love farmers, Coach. <laughs> yes, I, I mean I'm I'm with you right there. I believe uh, I believe in what you believe, and I I like the co-op model. Uh, I like the ability of sharing, and um, yeah. And, and we talked about this at one point earlier as well, where when I described these, you know, cooperative slash European models of, of distributed uh, agricultural economic economics we're we're looking at it as you know i know farmers love their tractors and i know they love their combines and all these things but you know a fully equipped combine for hemp is not cheap we're talking in the five six hundred thousand range yeah can't have we can't have every farm having one of those things so you know we'll have one and we'll have have it kept at the same place where processing can be done where storage can be done we'll have it maintained there and we'll rotate it around So everyone will get to use the thing and only one person, it's only going to be one person's headache in the end. That's it. (laughs) Yeah. One single expense, everyone gets to use it, schedule it, uh, done. So having this model in place also empowers the farmers in that they don't have to worry about where they're selling it. Uh Dairy cooperatives work that way as is. Everyone pays into the same, same source of processing and it, it develops, it creates the market, and it helps the farmers just basically do their farming. And if they want to have the stuff processed and brought back, or if they want to keep the crop on their own property for whatever reason, that's great too. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I want the enablement of makers at the other end of this. So with the idea of creating a market and having all of this processed materials, that's where we bring in the second wave of individuals. All these people who are looking to do things with hemp fiber or looking to do things with, you know, cannabinoids or, or with seeds or, you know, grinding into flour or there, you know, coach, there are countless, countless things. Exactly. So being the source of that will clearly help both the farmer end and the maker end, and it will create a sense of community. Yeah. Yeah. There's so many things. And I'd like to ask this question here. And since you're, we're on that subject of, all that can be made from from hemp 
what industry do you think that will grow first out of this or the fastest out of this? The, the building industry or the seed industry or the clothing or the fiber or where do you think, I mean, just from an observation, not that it's going to be true, but what do you think? Well, Coach, right now we are experiencing the green rush to which I referred earlier. Right, right. It's, I, I'm, I'm a little reluctant to go too deep into this because I did help craft legislation that made it possible for these folks to be able to grow that finicky high CBD hemp. Mm-hmm. But the reality is Vermont is not a Section 7606 compliant state. So with the exception of one or two individuals working through the universities, everyone else, and we're talking 30, 40 individuals or more, they're growing hemp in the whole asymmetric risk model. They're willing to push the level. They're, they're growing it in a federally non-compliant manner. And, you know, it's strange being the person that actually knows the rules because, uh, you know, I don't think these folks actually understand the rules and they just want to go ahead and do it anyway. So right now, there is a little little bit of a burst of activity on that on that front. Um, for my part, I'm probably looking at a combined oil and fiber. Okay. Uh, so, you know, we'll we'll be as I mentioned, seventy six oh six doesn't allow for the the sale and distribution of of domestically produced hemp raw materials. So there's going to be a lot of stockpiling of these resources internally as we get things rolling. But like I said, you know, going from 15, 20 acres this year to 50 to 100 plus acres next year or however many I end up with, I, we're, we're still about a year and a half to, to two and a half years behind some of the larger states, Colorado, Kentucky, uh, et cetera. Yeah. But again, Coach, and this is, this is one of the keys, we're not Kentucky. We're not Colorado. Exactly. We have phenomenal soil. We have phenomenal water sources. We are in the smack in the range of his traditional certified hemp varieties here in Vermont, as opposed to you know some of the southern states where they're working hard to figure out what, what can grow down in Kentucky and what can grow in West Virginia and, and even you know points further south. Yeah. So uh, it, it, in some ways we're behind and in other ways we have advantages that are just intrinsic to the location that kind of makes it a, a, a sweet spot as well, a honey hole. There you go. Well, that's why you're there, Joel, <laughs> is to help figure this all out. That's your purpose up there. You know it. <laughs> uh, I'll take that. So is there anything else that you'd like to bring up about Vermont? your company, or yourself? You know, I will be uh, on a panel at the University of, University of Vermont okay. as uh, the University of Vermont's Davis, uh, Davis Center on a cannabis on campus conversation. So I will be representing the hemp conversation and uh, we'll have some other interesting individuals there speaking about medicinal, medicinal cannabis and, and the potential for recreational. But other than that, Coach, you're welcome up here anytime you'd like. All right. I appreciate that. And I love the little town. I mean, it's just, a, it's it's so quaint. And you have a beautiful house. 
Well, thank you, sir. I mean, I enjoyed it there. I think the, our whole crew did, and it was just awesome. I remember that all the time. I want to come up and visit again. So I think I think I need you to come up so my wife will make those uh, those pancakes again. Oh yeah, oh yeah, <laughs> that's for sure. <laughs> okay, so uh, with that, Joel, I want to thank you for being a guest on the IHAMP Revolution podcast. You know, Coach. We went too long in between these two. Let's uh, let's get back together sometime in the next month or two and see how things are panning out. All right. Well, thank you very much, uh, Joel, and have a great day. And we'll be talking soon. You as well, Coach. It's uh, it's rainy and cold up here, and uh, it's probably gorgeous and sunny down there. So enjoy it. I want to thank our listeners for tuning in today. And make sure that you subscribe to the iHemp Revolution podcast on iTunes or Stitcher Radio. Give us a review and follow us on facebook.com forward slash iHempRevolution. Like us and then tell your friends. Help us spread the word about how using industrial hemp can benefit people, heal the planet, and provide long-term profit. This is your host. Coach Freddie, inspiring people to do things that inspire them, and thanks for joining the iHemp Revolution.